Song is not a song until someone sings it. A bell is not a bell until someone rings it. Love that is placed in the heart is not put there to stay. Love is not love until it is given away. I've come here to give you love from God's word. Who I am is unimportant. If you don't remember my name, that'll be okay. But if you would just remember the person I've come to preach, Jesus Christ, and that'll be all right. Again, I say to Brother Doug, grateful that I've gotten to know Doug and his wife, as well as the elders of the congregation here, I'm indebted to you. One of the great things about heaven, I believe that we will be able to recognize one another. You may disagree with me on that, is that I'll be able to walk up to Doug and, and talk about this for an eternity, about how you've blessed me and you encouraged me. And I'm honored to have been invited here to be with you this day. Fortifying the family. The thing with technology is that you can't see the fortified up there. You can't see the title up there. And hopefully that won't be the rest of the presentation as otherwise I'll have to preach without the PowerPoint. But we'll try to do our very best. Got a bad bulb? Okay. But nonetheless, we'll do our very best. Fortifying the family. This morning in the Bible class, we talked about the reason why we need to fortify the family. I try to make you aware of some changes that have occurred in the wonderful institution. And then in a Sunday morning sermon, we talked about how we can do it. How we can fortify the family. And one way is to, to take the time to transform a house into a home. What I want to do is talk about marriage this afternoon. A little bit that my wife has taught me about. it, And so I want to share with you, we've been married for 36 years and dated three years. And so we've been together for 39 going on 40 years. And so I can't remember not being married. And I want to say this to outset. After being married for 36 years and studying it, marriage is tough. If you're here and you say you never had a marital problem, you're lying. And when we extend the invitation, you need to come on down. <laughs> marriage is tough. It's a full-time job. And what Satan wants you to do is to take a break. And if you take a break or a vacation on your marriage, you're going to hit a brick wall. And what I want to do this afternoon is, is just share with you very expeditiously as possible, but yet try to highlight them. What are some things, preacher, that we can do to enrich our marriages? What are some things here? I've been married 40 years. You can still enrich your marriage. 50 years. And for those who have been married five years or younger, 10, I want to share some insights. What you can do that after being married 36 years, that I don't guess it. I know it. I know that I'm married to the sweetest woman in the world. Now, she paid me to say that, but no, but I know that. But I tell you what, I have not always been a good husband. And she'll tell you that's true. She would shout amen if she could. I made my mistakes. But I'm able to talk about my marriage and share insights to you about my marriage because I've learned from my mistakes. And that's what life is all about. God knew that we were going to make mistakes, and that's why he made a repentance possible. I challenge you to look at your life. What America needs, what the Lord needs, the church needs, we need some strong marriages. 
what America needs. And, and if anything I can offer to my sons is an example of a good husband. That when they run through challenges in their marriage, that they'll think back, this is how daddy behaved. This is how daddy treated mama. You see, one day I'm going to die. And I don't know where they're going to have my eulogy. It doesn't matter. But what matters to me is when they roll my body down and my spirit has gone back to God. And those three boys are there comforting Rhonda. I don't want them to say, Daddy gave us a good home. Daddy gave us nice things and we enjoyed the finer things of life. That's not important. That daddy was there to watch us play sports and encouraged us to be great in our, in our sports. That's not, not important. That dad taught us the value of education. That's not important. If I could hear what I want those boys to say is that as they look at one another, didn't daddy love mama? Didn't daddy love mama? Didn't daddy treat mama the way a wife ought to be treated? If my boys can say that, then my living has not been in vain. Then I've, I've passed something on to them that I think is the second most important thing that a father can pass on to sons. The first is that they love God. But I want them to know, not by my preaching, not, not by my teaching, but by my actions, that I love their mama. And I treated her with respect and kindness. That's what's important. That's what America needs. That's what our children need to hear. And so what I want to do is to share with you what are some things that can equip us to fortify our marriage? What are some things that can help us to have a great marital relationship? And so if you can't see this, if, if you would like a copy of this, they have it on the hard drive back there. They can give, a, give you a copy. But I want to get right to the million dollar question is, what can we do, Brother Jones? After five years, 10 years, 15 years, our marriage is going through some struggles right now. What can we do? Share some insights of what we can do to keep our marriage together, that we can stay together. I want to share with you seven biblical insights. I didn't come here to share with you the latest paradigms in psychology, the latest theoretical frameworks in counseling, or the latest uh, uh, theories and sociology. I've come here to share with you from the greatest book ever written, the Bible, on seven things that you and I can do to make our marriage a joy. That I love seeing this on Rhonda's face more than anything when I wake up in the morning and I'm looking at her while she is still sleeping, realizing how blessed I am that I'm married to the greatest woman in the world. But I want her to feel the same way that she's married to the greatest man in the world. And the only way that I'm going to get that out of her is that I treat her the way a woman ought to be treated. So, number one, you can't see that. But let me tell you what it's saying. Be willing to repair the cracks that can occur in a marriage. Be willing to repair the cracks that can occur in a marriage. All marriages have problems. Even though your marriage was started out on a solid foundation, Cracks can emerge. And just don't pretend that you don't have problems, you don't have disagreement. Deal with those cracks. Deal with marital problems that will arise in a marriage. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says something here that we can make a parallel in just a moment. 
But Jesus talking about that we ought, and everyone that hears that, 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 that hear him when, when not going to heaven. But it says uh, about two builders, one built upon a, a solid foundation and another built up on a sandy foundation. Let's talk about the one who built up on a sandy foundation, upon sand. Your marriage can start out on a solid foundation, but cracks can emerge. And he says the rain will descend, the flood will come, and they will beat up on your house. And if it's built up on a sandy foundation, it's going to fall. But Brother Jones, suppose your marriage was built up on a solid foundation. You were deeply in love when you first got married. You couldn't live without her and she couldn't live without you. But now we've been married five years and I can't stand it. If it wasn't for my religious belief, I would leave him. You see, maybe there's someone sitting here this morning. You may know someone, a co-worker. You may know a, 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 a college friend. You may know someone who's going through something right now and they are a member of the Lord's church, but they are miserable in their marriage and they are contemplating getting out of it. What can they do? Repair the cracks that will occur. Rain will descend, floods will come and they will beat up on the house, even on a solid foundation. But Jesus said it will stand if, this, if there's a solid foundation, but there will be cracks. So, Brother Jones, what can we do to repair the cracks that can occur in our marriage? In order to repair cracks, the disagreements, the things that cause you not to feel so good about your marriage, there are three things you need to do. When you feel like the marital satisfaction is deflating out of your marriage, what can you do to repair the cracks that you can be happy again, that you can feel excited about this marriage again? Three things. Number one. The first thing you need to do is have marital, it's called mutual, you can't see it up there again, mutual commitment, mutual commitment. You see, you both got to want to work through the problem. Just one person won't do it. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, you're no longer twain, but you're one flesh. And Ron and I had our disagreement. I shared that with you this morning. Six months after the marriage, I, hey, we were about ready I, I wanted to body slam her and she wanted to body slam me. I'm going to be truthful with you. I mean, we had gotten to that point. She was tired of me nagging her about making the bed up right, cooking the right eggs, doing this. And she was just tired of it. But she was going to be like my mother. That was the last thing. And I got my a cousin here and she knows my mom. And the last person in the world you want to be like is my mom. But that's another sermon. Let me move on. I'll leave my mother alone, Rhonda. But let me move on. But nonetheless... To repair marital problems, you've got to have a commitment. And that's what I've got to my marriage. I'm going to stay here. And I've told Rhonda this. She knows that what I'm about to say. I've told her this. Rhonda, if you get a boyfriend, you might as well tell him. Now, I'm going to leave Sammy, but there's one problem. He just told me he's, going, he's coming with us. Hey, I've invested 36 years. If you leave me, I'm going with you. So you might as well stay here. If you leave, you might as well tell your boyfriend, you got, hey, he's coming too. That's a commitment. I'm committed to my marriage. But not only do you need a commitment, you need a mutual desire. Desire is that you want the marriage to be better. You want that marriage to be great. Romans 10 and verse number one, Paul says, my prayer to God for Israel. Paul said, I want Israel to be saved. Paul had a desire. You've got to have a passion. What do you have a passion for? There's some Alabama fans here. I'm going to leave that football alone. But that's a passion. 
They have a passion to want to win a, a championship again. But I have a passion. I want to go to heaven and I want my marriage to last. I want my marriage not only to last, I want it to be happy. I want it to be rewarding. I want to be at work and I think about my marriage and I smile. Because it feels so good to be married to Rhonda. I want her to feel so good about when she's at work and she thinks about me. She thinks about the marriage. She smiles. I want the boys to say, man, my parents, they're good. Good husband and wife. And when we get married, we want to ha- I want to have a marriage just like that. That doesn't come easy. It comes with a commitment that when cracks occur, you get in there and you work at getting your marital satisfaction back up. Marital satisfaction is going to decline because when you get married, it has nowhere else to go but down. Hopefully you're on cloud nine when you get married. If you're already down here on a honeymoon, something's wrong. So you have only one place to go, down. But what are you going to do to get it back up? It's normal for marital satisfaction to decline, but then you have to work to get it back up. And it takes a mutual commitment, mutual desire, and the third thing is a mutual plan. I've got a plan. Just a few moments ago, the scripture, I gave the young man the wrong scripture to read. Dyslexia. But it's Proverbs 29, verse 18. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, the King James says it like this. Where there is no vision, my people perish. The New King James says, Revelation, where there is no law, the people will, will, will go uh, leave God. The, the point is this. Where there is no plan, where there is no direction, the marriage will fall. What's your plan? My question for you, what is your plan to keep your marriage together? Let me say to you who have been married 25 or 30 years, if you don't have a plan to keep your marriage together, there's somebody at your place of employment that's just waiting. There's some lady. God, don't think that you're immune. There's some lady waiting for an opportunity to end your marriage. Ladies, that's, you may love your husband, not even in your mind, an affair. But there's a man that's just waiting to tell you all the things that you think you want to hear. But you got to have a plan. My plan is to keep my mind on Rhonda. My plan is to keep my marriage together. And whatever it takes, I've got to be willing to make that sacrifice. Don't be like the six men we talked about in the cold within this morning. They all died because they were unwilling to make a sacrifice. And keeping a marriage together, is a, there has to be a willingness to repair the cracks that will occur in the foundation of the marriage. You can't see it, but here's number two. Keep the marriage smelling fresh. It's not enough to repair the marriage. You've got to keep the marriage smelling fresh. Uh-oh. What in the world is Brother Jones talking about now? You see, there's some marriages that smells. They have an odor. And you can you spot them. You can, you can see them afar off. You can smell them rather afar off. You, oh, here they come. You know people like that? Oh, here they come. Here's that man. Every time you see him, he's putting his wife down. Honey, you can't do this. You, my, honey, you this and you, honey, you that. Always putting the wife down. Never gives her a compliment. Always putting her down. Here's a woman that had great self-esteem in herself, but after being married to this guy for five years, she feels like she can't. You know why? He's always putting her down. She can't do anything right. She's always putting him down. She's always saying, you ought to be like Johnny over there. He cuts the grass. She's always. It's a selfish marriage. There's one person in marriage. It's all about them. And you know who they are. And you talk about, oh, here they come. That's when your marriage smells. 
And a marriage that smells is a marriage that is not a good marriage. So if you want to keep your marriage, if you want to fortify, keep your marriage smelling fresh. Keep your marriage smelling fresh. Well, how can you keep your marriage smelling fresh? You see, I know something about this because my marriage, the first year of our marriage, it was smelling crazy. And I didn't know it. I had no, I thought my marriage was normal. I thought it was functional. I thought it was good, but it had an odor. And I didn't even realize it. You know why? Turn to Philippians chapter two. Look at verses two and three. The Bible says, let nothing be done through selfishness or vainglory. But in verse three, that's the key. But in the lowness of mind, let each person esteem the other person better than himself. In other words, what Paul is saying as a Christian, I ought not to look on what's best for me. I've got to look at what's best, what's good for others. When I first got married, it's all about Sammy. I wanted my wife to cook like my wife, my mother, uh, or make the bed up like my mother. I, it was all about Sammy and my mother, Sammy and my mother. And Rhonda said, I don't care about your mother. No, you're going to care about my mother because my mother is, is the queen. Rhonda said, she may be the queen at your house, but I'm going to be the queen at this house. And I remember my mom came to visit us when we were students at Freed Harmony University. And this is the true story. We left to go to the grocery store. And when we came back, we were only gone 30 minutes. My mom had completely redecorated the house. The couch. Who put a couch over there? She had the couch. And she had put new curtains up at the bed. And my poor daddy, he was just moving the furniture like he was supposed to. So when we got back, we didn't recognize the apartment. I looked at Rhonda, she didn't say a word. But her eyes were telling me, if you don't take care of your mother today, I'm going to take care of her. (laughs) She didn't say a word, but her eyes told me. And so I had to say, Mom, we're going to leave. We're going to come back in one hour. I want that couch back over there. I want those curtains down. You can take them home with you. And I want everything back the way it was. I'm your mother. I ought to be able to decorate your house. And nobody put the couch. I said, Mom. You have your opinion, but I want that couch back over there and I want those curtains down. If I can't decorate your apartment, I'll leave here and I won't come back, ever come back. I said, Mama, I want that couch over there. And I kid you not, my mom didn't come see us for seven years. But you know what? I still got my wife. I still got my wife. What you have to realize, make the marriage smell good. I didn't, my marriage, our marital satisfaction and our marriage did not start improving, improving until Sammy died to self. I was selfish and I didn't even know it. I was self-centered and I didn't even know it. How did I get rid of it? You see, mine was a victim of my low self-esteem. As one of the things I talked a little bit about that this morning. But I was 28 years old when I was started dealing with my, what it hit me. I've been helping other people with their problems, overcoming low self-esteem and, and dealing with, with not liking himself. But here I was. And I remember one Sunday there after preaching in Jackson, Mississippi, the congregation I worked for, there's a sister that walked up to me and said, Sammy, you preached a great sermon. And people with low self-esteem can't accept compliment. And I said, well, how's the weather outside? And she looked at me. She said, Sammy, acknowledge what I've just said. She said, you, I'm not letting your hand go until you look me in the eyes and acknowledge what I've just said. 
I couldn't because I never thought I've done anything worthy for someone to think. So when someone would say that, it just go in my head. She said, you acknowledge it. And I said, then I cried myself to sleep all the time. Ulcerated stomach. I said, I'm tired of this. I'm going to deal with this. I've helped other people. Why can't I help myself? And i never forget it. It was in December of that year. My dad and I, we were sitting in the house. I love my dad. But we hadn't said, we've been sitting there for watching television, watching the ball game or something for two and a half hours. And we hadn't said a word to one another. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to deal with this. And I said, how am I going to overcome my low self-esteem? I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I did it. I said, Dad, all of a sudden, I just said, Dad, I need to do something. He said, yeah, Sam, I'll do anything for you. I said, Dad, stand up. My dad stood up. And I said, Dad, I need you to do something for me. I need this, Dad. I don't need to, I don't, can't explain it to you, but I need you to do something, Dad. I need you to hug me. And my dad, I love him, hard worker, good man, just a good man. But we had never hugged one another. Every time we would greet, we'd shake hands. And I said, Dad, I need a hug. And he said, okay, sure. But that was not the blow. I wasn't through with him. Because I needed something else. I needed someone to invade my space to the, to the closest level. I said, Dad, I need a kiss. I need a kiss. And I said, Dad, not only do I need a kiss, I need to kiss you on your lips. And my dad looked at me like, this boy has lost his mind. I don't know what kind of psychology he's studying, but hey, if he thinks he's going to kiss me on the lips, he's crazy. So my dad just stood there and looked at me like, Alice, come and call the people with the white jacket. This boy has lost his mind. For 20 minutes, he just looked at me. And he said, okay. I can't can't explain it to you, but when I kissed my dad, someone that I loved and admired more than any other man on this earth, I finally let someone invade my space. Rhonda had done it, but that that was Rhonda. I needed someone else. I needed a man. And I can't tell you the kind of the load that, that, just like I experienced, the shackles had been, I'm okay. For the first time in my life that night, I started seeing Sammy, is, hey, I'm okay. People may laugh at me the way I talk. People may like, that's okay, but I'm okay. I'm okay, and it took a process of time. That's when I started seeing Rhonda for Rhonda. It doesn't matter to me how the bed is made up anymore. I don't care whether there's dishes in the sink. My socks, they don't have to be ironed. It's okay to wear boxer shorts and they have wrinkles. It's okay. I'm normal. (laughs) But you know what? I just can't explain to you. And I started becoming a better daddy. I started becoming a better person because I like myself. My oldest brother, Billy, was 6'5". My youngest brother, John, is 6'2". My sister is 6'1". I'm 5'11". But that's okay. 
I'm 5'11", and that's okay. Yes, my sister's taller than I am. Yes, my baby brother's tall, and I'm okay at a stuttering 5'11". I'm okay. And so I stopped being mad at the world, and I started focusing on others. There's a wife in here that needs to die to herself so you can be happy. You see, you can't love that husband because it's all about what you're not getting out of the marriage. It's all about what you're not getting out of the marriage. And, and you think that you deserve this and you deserve that. And you spend all your time talking about what you're not getting and being a pre- instead of being appreciative of what you are getting. There's a husband who's not unhappy in his marriage because of whatever reason. You've got to die to self. When you die to self, I live to make Rhonda happy. That's my goal in life. Other than God, I want her to be happy. And when she's happy, guess what? Everybody in Henderson, Tennessee. No, no. When she's happy, everybody in the family is happy. And so that's what my goal is. But that's how you fortify your marriage. Let's go to number three. Number three is to avoid some crises of erosions. Avoid what I call crises of emotion or erosion factors. Erosion factors. You know, marriage satisfaction doesn't decline just overnight. It's over a process of time. It's like acid battery. It just slowly eats away at marriage satisfaction. And seven years later, you wake up one day, you're just not happy with this man or this woman. And you haven't told anybody, but you are seriously thinking about getting out of the marriage and you come to church every Sunday. You're in Bible class every Wednesday, but you are in a relationship. And it's, there was a time you really loved this man or this woman. But now you're at the point you just can't take it anymore. We call those erosion factors. There are things that can slowly eat away that satisfaction and that people can they think you got a perfect marriage. But inside with those closed doors, you are miserable because of these erosion factors. Let me mention just a few. One of them that we call is gaslighting. That's the definition. You can't see the word, but it's gaslighting. Gaslighting is when someone chips away at your self-esteem. The way you feel about yourself. You know, you can feel pretty good about yourself, but gaslighting is when someone slowly every day tells you, you quote, you're stupid. You can't do anything right. You're crazy. You're too this and you're too that and you're too this. You ought to lose weight. They just take your self-worth and just walk all over it. As a man, you can't do anything to satisfy her. And pretty soon you don't want to rush home after work to be with that woman. You don't want to rush home. You, you can't wait to go fishing or play golf. Then be at home because when you're in the present, you don't feel good. That's gaslighting. That needs to stop. Another one, we call it garbage dumping. Garbage dumping is when someone just keep bringing stuff up. They just keep bringing stuff up that you've dealt with five years ago, 20 years ago. Garbage dumping is you keep bringing up the past. You keep opening up that wound. We've dealt with that. And here's she or he will bring it up and it just rekindle that fire that's been deflamed. Another one is called kitchen sink fighting. 
Kitchen sink fighting is not when the, the husband pulled the sink out and, and throw it at the wife. That's, that's much worse than that. Kitchen sink fighting is horrible. It's the worst way of communicating in a marriage. It's when you've been married to this woman long enough for this man, and you know what to say to, to hurt. And you know when you say these words or you say this phrase or you say this statement, it's like hitting her or hitting him in the guts. And you want to make him hurt. He's made you mad. And so, you know, if you say this it's going to accomplish what. And so you hit below the belt. That's horrible. You want to kill your marriage? Kitchen sink fight. Keep hitting her in the guts. Keep hitting him in the guts. One day he's not going to come home. One day he just he said, I, I mean, I just can't take this anymore. I feel good. And when I get home. She hits me in the guts. Soon as I walk through the door, he hits me in the guts. He tells me I'm too this and I'm, I'm not this. That's dirty fighting. Let me mention one more and we'll move on. And this one here is a behavior where you're constantly blaming, scapegoating. Where one spouse blames the other spouse for everything that's going on. These are erosion factors. Avoid them. These are behaviors that you need to avoid in the marriage. Let's go to our next one. Number four. If you're going to have a marriage that's fortifying, you need to engage in warming, uh, create a warming, fuzzy feeling in your marriage. David Leib, if he were here, you know David Leib, he would love this warming, fuzzy feeling. No, David is anything but a warming, fuzzy person. But what is warming, fuzzy feeling? That's, how, that's my job as a husband. And that's Rhonda's job as a wife is to create a warm and fuzzy feeling in a marriage where you feel good about your marriage. Do you feel good? Don't answer this. But do you feel good about your marriage? Sometimes you don't. But I would say 90 some percent of the times you ought to feel great about your marriage. Well, there are certain things you can do to create a warm and fuzzy feeling. What can you do? In the book of the Song of, Songs of Solomon, chapter four, verse one. Solomon had multiple wives, but Solomon knew how to create a warm and fuzzy feeling. Now, I'm not telling any husband to do this, but you know what Solomon said to his wife? Honey, when I think of you, you remind me of a flock of goats. And that's what, hey, come on. But back then, a goats were what? Necessary. So, honey, you are significant to me. You mind, remind me of a flock of goats. I often tell Rhonda, she's walking around the house, I say, honey, this is a smoke-free house, but you're smoking today. <laughs> now, y'all can borrow that if you want to. When we first got married, uh, after we'd gone through some things, you know, after been married for two years, I, Rhonda labeled me. And, and some of you uh, can't remember the cartoon, but some of you may remember. Not many people remember this cartoon. But when Rhonda, after two years of being married, we had gone through our problems and she labeled me Superman. And then when we had disagreements, disagreements, you know who I was? Underdog. <laughs> now, any of you ever watched the cartoon Underdog? Oh, okay, then you know what I'm talking about. I went from Superman to Underdog. And brother and sister, I'm telling you, when you're Underdog, hey, I don't, I didn't enjoy that. You don't get a lip. I love lemon icebox pie. And, and you don't get lemon icebox pie when you're an underdog. But when you're Superman, oh, you get lemon icebox pie. So, again, how can you do that? Create a warm and fuzzy feeling. When was the last time you told her how beautiful she is? 
When's the last time you told him how handsome he is? There's a woman out there that just can't wait to tell your husband how handsome he is. There's a man out there that just waiting to tell your wife how beautiful and sexy she is. That's the thing you ought to tell her. It makes her feel good about the marriage. Two more, and I promise you I'm going to quit. This one here, work to keep the flame in the marriage. Work to keep the flame. What's your plan to keep the flame in your marriage? You see, it's, it's, it's sad that there are people in here that will work at their careers to be successful. You invest 60, 80 hours a week to be successful in your career. Nothing wrong with that. But how many hours are you investing in your marriage? My marriage is more important to me than my career. Shame on me to invest 60, 65, 70 hours a week and trying to be successful in my career. But I'm not investing at the same time or more in trying to make my marriage the best it can be. Come on. If your marriage is important to you, you ought to invest some time and energy in it and keeping the flame of alive. How do you know when the flame is going? Friday night, what do you want to do, honey? I don't know what you want to do. What do you want to do, honey? I don't know what do you want to do. The flame is gone. Whose fault is that? That's your fault. Man, I'm talking to you, that's your fault. Don't let the flame die in your marriage. Don't wake up a day and you say, man, what happened to the flame? We were were so excited about the marriage. Three times when the flame is most likely to leave your marriage. Note this. There are three times when marital satisfaction is going to drastically decline in your marriage. Be prepared for those. First time is right after the birth of a child. Expect it. If you have a baby in the house, you better do some praying. (laughs) Parents, do what you can to help them out. It's not that the baby is very demanding. And if there's a man like me, when we had our first child, I was selfish because before that baby, all I do is say, Rhonda, she was right there. Rhonda. But then when I needed time, little Eric started crying. And guess what she would do? She would abandon me for Eric. I didn't like that. I thought it's okay the first time, the second time, the third time, the twelfth time. But that thirteenth time, I said, this little joker here needs to realize I was here first. See, now why there's seven years different between all our children. Hey, we didn't have, I was right there. There's seven. I got to take a break. Seven. No, no, let me move on. Second time, teenagers. If you have some teenagers in the house, oh, you need counseling. Today. Today. They're challenging. They put stress on the family because they want what? M-O-N-E-Y every day. They've got their hands out. Bonnie, you think it grows on trees? Yes, Daddy. Don't I thought you had three trees back there. And then they just go and raid the refrigerator. They say, open a door and inhale everything out of there. And they bring friends over to do the same. Oh. The third time is when all the children now have left home. You said that ought to be a joyful time. All the children have left home. No, it's a time where someone has said, I've stayed here for the sake of the children. I know what the Bible says, but I can't take this anymore. And you come home one day and there's a note. 
Don't let that happen to you. And I'm going to close with this one here. Another way to fortify your marriage. Turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Another way to fortify your marriage is that you need to have the ability to forgive. Mistakes will be made in all marriages. Some major, some not as major. But we all make mistakes. And I'm able to stand before you today. I made my mistakes. I've said things to Rhonda that no man ought to say. And she's forgiven me. And that's the wonderful thing about love. When you love someone, the Bible says love will cover a multitude of sin. When you love someone. And that was a time you really loved that man you're married to. That's some other time you really loved that woman you're married to. And you can love her again. That flame can be reactivated. That flame can be revitalized. It can occur. Do you want it? It's got to be something you want. Now, what's your plan? What's your plan? I'm waiting on her. No, no. What's your plan? If my marriage failed, it's because Sammy didn't do his job. But I'm going to do my J-O-B. I'm going to make my marriage work. Other than making it to heaven, my marriage is important to me. The next thing important to me. I can go to heaven without being a teacher at Freed Harbor University. I love Freed Harbor University. If my job was there terminated tomorrow, it'd be okay. I'll keep on living. But I don't feel that same way about my marriage. I don't feel that same way about my marriage. I love preaching, but if the brothers decide they don't want me to preach anymore, I can go to heaven without preaching. You see, I can give, I, can, I don't have to do those things. But my marriage is important to me. And I'm going to make my marriage work. And if Wanda make mistakes, I'm going to forgive her. If I make mistakes, we've been forgiving each other. Turn to the book of Hosea and we'll close. And the book of Hosea is a wonderful love story. And I want to close with this love story. You know the story well. If you studied this book, it is a wonderful book about forgiving. Preacher name, Hosea, wife named Gomer. You know the story well that God had Hosea to marry this, this lady, this beautiful lady, so that he could understand what it felt like to be married to someone that didn't reciprocate that love. And so Hosea was married to Gomer. She was very attractive. And the Bible tells us she went out and she had a baby by another man. But what did Hosea do? But she went out and had a second baby and a third. And the Bible doesn't tell us that, but paraphrasing, it, it must have said to her one day, it's obviously, honey, you're not going to be faithful to me if you want. He put her away and she left. We don't know what happened between chapter one and chapter three, all the things. But when you read chapter three, I don't know how much time has elapsed from chapter one to chapter three. But when you get to chapter three, you see a woman that had been put away. She had two options without that. You know, she could. It, it, it was unscripture. She became a slave or a prostitute. I don't know which one she became. But one day. I, in my mind, I, I see Hosea taking those three children that were not his and made them his. When I read it, I read the children are now grown and they have grandchildren. 
They're married with, with and so Hosea is a grandfather. And one day he's walking through the market. He has no need of a woman. But back then in the marketplace, they would sell women off often. Hosea, who was very beautiful and attractive over the years, she's abused that and she's no longer beautiful and attractive. Nobody wants her. And as Hosea, chapter one and two, as he's walking through the market, he looks over and there's a woman, perhaps stripped of her clothing and her birthday outfit, about to be auctioned off. And Hosea sees her. And she's brought to the auction block. And the auctioneer said, who give me one pence or whatever for it? And guess what? You tell me this isn't love? Guess what Hosea did? He rolls up on the auction block and he says, I'll take her. Woman that has caused him so much pain. I'll take her. I'll buy her. And so he gives the necessary funds in exchange for her. Can't you imagine a walk home? But a walk home went like this. Goldman, let me tell you, those three children, they're married now and we got grandchildren. Let me tell you, they didn't have iPhones back then. But you can't want to, let me show you pictures. They didn't have that technology. He accepted her back. You said, brother, that's an extreme case. But that's what we have with God. And I'm so glad that it doesn't matter what I've done in my life. I serve a God that will forgive me. And maybe Rhonda said some things that have hurt my feelings. Maybe she hasn't always cooked and cleaned up like I think she ought to. I can forgive and let that go. A marriage is where people make mistakes and they, they, they look beyond that and, and see beyond that. I don't care about what other people are saying. This is my wife. I'm going to love her to the day I die. And we're in this for the overhaul. And we're going to forgive one another when mistakes are made. That's what Christianity is about. But that's a mindset. That's a mindset that we must have. And if we want God to be forgiving towards us and our marriages, we must be willing to forgive and work through our problem. And it doesn't matter what other people are saying about it. We're going to make through it. You see, that's how you fortify a marriage. That's how you keep your marriage together. And that's what our children, our grandchildren need to witness and experience. Oh, I've been long and I, I, I could keep going. I'm going to quit. Song is not a song until someone sings it. A bell is not a bell until someone rings it. Love that is placed in the heart is not put there to stay. Love is not love until it's given away. There's a man here that needs to walk up to his wife today and just hug her. Don't say a word, just hug her and let her know by the way you embrace her that she's loved. There's a wife that needs to go up to a husband and just hug him. Don't say a word, but just hug him and let him know by the way you embrace him, that he's loved and that he's dear to you and that you're going to keep investing the time and energy, that you're going to make your marriage the best that it can be and you're going to change things about yourself and about your marriage because your marriage deserves top priority in your life. Top priority, if you're not giving your marriage the best you can give it, shame on you. And I'm going to say that, shame on you. 
Your marriage deserves better. And I didn't come here today to make you feel good. I came here to challenge you today to make your marriage a top priority. Amen, lights. You see, that's what we need. And if someone doesn't challenge us to do that, then we'll just keep on going through the motion. Through the motion. And one day, we'll be unhappy and we'll walk away from it. I'm not walking away. I've got a plan. And my plan is to love that woman so that she'll never want to leave me. Knowing that if she leaves, I'm going with her. If you're here this afternoon, what do you need to change about yourself? It's easy for me to look at you and look at others and see the changes you need to make. Today, I'm challenging you to look at self. What is it that I need to change about Sam Jones to make me a better husband, to make me a better father, to make me a better Christian? God, help me to be honest with myself. God, help me to be honest with myself, to look at myself and to change myself to be what you want me to be, to be what you would have me to be towards Rhonda. If you're a husband and you need to change, if you're a wife and you need to change the things about yourself, we've all been there. What we need is a dose of honesty. I need help. Let's help one another. If you need to respond in any shape, form, or fashion, why don't you come with us together, stand and